Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. I don't always say this, but as I was praying this morning, I believe this is a word for some, some people today. It was a word for me as I was writing it. There are so many times as I was praying and writing this that I was just crying because the Lord was convicting me or ministering to me in the process. And um, when I say, when I say, uh, um, <laughs> if I step on your toes, I'm stepping on mine first. Because uh, I tried to tell, I, I tried, I tried to, to tell you what, what the Lord lays on my heart. And, and, uh, also, I need, I need the word just as much as anyone else. We're jumping into 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 through 31. I'm reading out of the message transliteration. So this is not a translation of the Bible. It is a paraphrase of the Bible. But I believe in this instance, it brings very much really good clarity to what's going on in this section of scripture where Paul is dealing with the wisdom of God, and how it's opposite of what we think. So the title of my message today is, It's Not What You Think. It's not what you think. In almost every series, everything the Lord does in your life, when you look back in hindsight's twenty twenty, when you look back at what he's done, you would say, well, that was not logical. It didn't make sense how the Lord got me to that point. And, and it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. But the Lord did it anyways. And I think this brings clarity. So what we're going to do is I'm going to tell you, we're going to read this. And then I'm going to get into a section of scripture in 1 Kings chapter 17. And the reason why I'm going to bring in 1 Kings 17 is because it explains what Paul's talking about. So I love it when the scripture affirms scripture. It always does. But there's a narrative that shows exactly what Paul's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. So let's just jump right in, starting in verse 18. The message that points to Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction. But for those on the way of salvation, it makes perfect sense. This is the way God works. And most powerfully, as it turns out, it's written, I'll turn conventional wisdom on its head. I'll expose so-called experts as shams. I feel like that's kind of happening, even as we speak. So where can you find someone truly wise, truly educated, truly intelligent in this day and age? That's a great question, Paul. It still applies to our society. Hasn't God exposed it all as pretentious nonsense? Since the world, since the world and all its fancy wisdom never had a clue when it came to knowing God. God in his wisdom took delight in using what the world considered stupid. Preaching of all things. To bring those who trust him into the way of salvation. When you really think about it, it's silly. We hear a message and we believe it, it like, like the Holy Spirit does something in our heart. 
And you're like, man, that's, that's calling to me, that message. I need to give my life to God. And you do. Because someone spoke. It seems illogical. While the Jews clamor for miraculous demonstrations and the Greeks go in for philosophical wisdom, we go right on proclaiming Christ, the crucified. Jews treat this like an anti-miracle and the Greeks pass it off as absurd. But to, the, but to us who are personally called by God himself, both Jews and Greeks, some translations might say Jews and Gentiles, Christ is is God's ultimate miracle and wisdom all wrapped up in one. Human wisdom is so cheap, so impotent, next to the seemingly absurdity of God. Human strength can't begin to compete with God's weakness. Starting in verse 26. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when God called you into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. I know I'm not. Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? Chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by blowing your own horn before God. None of us are going to be up in heaven saying, hey, I got here on my own. None of us are going to be up in heaven saying, hey, I did something pretty amazing down on earth. No, anything we do is for his glory. Everything he does through us is for his glory. Man, God might grow this church to 2,000 people. It's for his glory. I didn't have anything to do with it. All I was was the moron that God used that's really the truth of it. If you see God using someone, they just happen to be the vessel. It's all for God. It's all by God. It's all through God. It's all in God. Everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, comes from God by the way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. If we're going to boast, let's boast in Christ. So the main thought I want to give you, and then I want to give the application. God works backwards and upside down. God works backwards and upside down. We, I, I've said this before. The kingdom of God is a backwards and upside down kingdom. Jesus does not do things logically to man. So like, for instance, he said, if you want to be a leader, you got to serve. If you want to be great, you got to become a slave. He said, they lord of this world, they lord their authority over people. They lord their authority over people. But he said, but among you it will be different. He said, if you want to be a leader, you got to serve. It's backwards. And he's saying this, and then he turns around and shows them by washing the disciples' feet. They're like, no, you can't do that. That's like the lowest position in the household. And he's saying, no, I'm going to do it. 
This is what leadership in the kingdom looks like. It's getting down and serving one another. It's backwards from this world. It's not logical. So God works backwards and upside down from what we expect. That's why he's able to take things like a broken life, a broken marriage, a broken relationship. Uh, He's able to take things and turn it. Because he works backwards and upside down. And he, then he makes it stronger. That's why he's able to take cancer and heal it. He works backwards and upside down. So what's our takeaway? What, what can we walk away with in, in hindsight of looking at how God operates? That, the, that the, the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. What can we look at? What, what, what's, what's the takeaway? The first takeaway I think that can directly apply to our life is trust God regardless of man's logic. There's a verse in Proverbs 14. It says, There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Like, the world gives wisdom all the time. I say wisdom. All the time. Like, follow your heart. I'm not, I'm not going to get into that. That's so stupid. Or, hey, maybe... The, the, the world will give you horrible advice concerning your marriage. He'll, he'll give you horrible advice concerning your kids. They'll, they'll say, you don't need to discipline your kids like that. Well, the Bible says to discipline your kids like that. You don't need to, you know, like... You need to stand your ground No, the, uh, in your marriage. You need to put your foot down. Well, the Bible actually says serve one another out of reverence for Christ. The world will give you horrible advice, and when you're not surrounded by godly wisdom and godly people, you're not going to get godly wisdom. And so we, we have trust God regardless of man's logic. So there's a path uh, that seems right for a man, but it ends in death. That's the world's wisdom. It seems right. It seems logical. It seems to make sense. But it ends in death every single time. Man's wisdom will lead to death. Laughter can conceal a heavy heart. Man, when when I read this, know who I thought of instantly? Instantly. I thought about the two of the actors that made me laugh the most as a child. um, Robin Williams and Jim Carrey. Like, I'm not saying they're Christians, but, man, they, they were so good at making people laugh. And, and, and I don't know what's going on with Jim Carrey, but I know Robin Williams, he hung himself. Laughter can conceal a heavy heart. It can be a face. doesn't mean there's joy. But when laughter ends, the grief remains. Backsliders get what they deserve. Good people receive their reward. Only simpletons believe everything they're told. The prudent carefully consider their steps. There's a right, there's a way that seems right for a man. But it ends in death. The wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. So we got to trust God regardless of man's logic. There are countless examples of God doing absolutely illogical things when you, like, I think sometimes we can get so calloused to how illogical our God is. Maybe I'll write a book one day. Don't hold me to this, but maybe I might write a book about the, the, illogical, the illogical God we serve. I might just call it illogical God because there's, like, the, in fact, the Bible is that book. It's, it's a 
book of God's illog- He's just not logical. When you look at it, Jesus' ministry was cutting edge because he actually followed God the way he wanted to be followed. And with, 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 he followed the law perfectly, and, and it just ruffled so many logical feathers of the day. And then on top of that, let's just look at, like, like what did he do? He told the lame to walk. People that could, have not walked for 30 years, 37 years, he says, walk, not logical. But he made a declaration in faith and he told them to do something. He tells the deaf to hear. <laughs> do you hear me? I'm like, like, think about how illogical that is. A person that can't hear, he's telling the blind to see. No, no, the, my favorite time that he heals a blind person is when he tells blind Bartimaeus, he, this guy is, walk, Jesus walking outside of Jericho, and this guy is blind, and he's saying, he heard Jesus is coming, and, and he's begging, and he, and he starts yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, have mercy on me, Jesus, and he keeps yelling this, and Jesus walks past him, and then, and finally someone walks up and says, that blind man, that blind man is yelling for you, and this is what Jesus did. He said, tell him to come here. <laughs> I have to think about that. All right, I'm coming, Jesus. Like, I'm coming. Like, like. No, what we would do is like, oh, a blind man? Oh, let me go over here. Oh, oh, oh but let me grab your arm. No, like. It's not logical. Telling the dead to live. Not logical. Doesn't make sense. Telling a snack to feed thousands. Not logical. Doesn't make sense. Telling a storm, like getting up in the middle of a storm on a boat in a lake, saying, Peace be still. Not logical. Doesn't make sense. This is this is when his prayers are motivated by faith, not fear. He knew that God was able to do it. But it's not logical. It doesn't make sense. So we trust God regardless of man's logic. Faith in Jesus is illogical to man. It's so, it's so simple, it baffles the wise. And it's so miraculous, it troubles the, the religious. Like, faith in Jesus is the most miraculous thing that has ever hit the world because it changes who we are. It gives us a new identity. It changes us from death to life. It makes us a new creation. It gives us a second birth. And it's, it's so simple, it baffles the wise because we don't have to do anything but put faith and believe Jesus. They're like, it can't be that simple. And, it, and it's so miraculous, it baffles religious people because they want it to be something more. It's not logical. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are headed to destruction. But to we who are being saved, we know it's the very power of God. It's foolishness to the world. I remember the first time I was, I bumped into someone I graduated with in, uh, in high school. And, and uh, I was um, in ministry. And they said, hey, what are you doing now? I'm like, well, I'm, I'm a youth pastor, and I'm just trying to help point the next generation to Jesus. 
And she laughed at me openly, like, really? That's what you're doing with your life? Like, what are you doing? Like, oh, you're running a cattle ranch. Well, thanks for the beef, but <laughs> like, you're not making no impact in eternity. But we, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. There's a moment in Israel's history that perfectly illustrates this. It illustrates what Paul is talking about, how illogical our God is, is in 1 Kings 17. There's a prophet named Elijah, and God uses him so powerfully throughout his ministry. And let, let, me, let me tell you this. This man is a man of God. He called down fire from heaven. He pronounced a drought. He raised the dead. He split waters. He got taken up to heaven on a chariot of fire. Crazy life. Plagued with depression. If you feel depressed, you're in good company. You know what God told him to do? Is take a nap and eat. Some of us just need to rest and get good nutrition. Uh, and, and just rest in God. And then he went and prayed. Before he prayed, God gave him rest and food. Just FYI. But th there's this moment in Israel's history where there's this king named Ahab and his, his queen, his wife named Jezebel. They were so wicked. They were demonic. They, they did not serve the Lord. They ran from God. And so Satan raised up a demonic leader to just, just crush Israel, to almost run their economy into the ground. He, wrote, he raised up a demonic leader that was taking jobs. He raised up a demonic leader that didn't care about the border. He raised up a demonic leader that did not serve the Lord. And guess what God did in response to a demonic leader? He rose up a man of God to say things and to prophesy things that had to be said to course correct a nation. So men of God, women of God, it's time to stand. Let's not let this moment pass to another generation. It's our response. I don't want my children to fight battles that I should have. Elijah just jumps into the scene. In 1 Kings 17, he doesn't have a backstory. In fact, his opening lines in the whole Bible is a proclamation. He says, as surely as the Lord lives, the God of Israel... The God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. You and guess who he's talking to? The king. That leader that Satan rose up, the man of God steps up. And he, this is his first words in the whole Bible. We don't know anything about him. He just steps onto the scene and he's making a prophecy. And for three and a half years, it doesn't rain, no dew, no nothing. And to a culture that is dependent on crops and livestock, no rain meant no water. That meant things are about to die real quick. And the illogical nature of God is after he makes his proclamation, 
he says, okay, okay, um, Elijah, I want you to go live by a creek. Well, that, that sounds actually pretty amazing. But not in a drought. You know what creeks are dependent on? Rain. How many dry creeks do we have around here until it rains? So God's like, hey, I'm going to send a drought, but I'm going to give you, I'm going to send you to a creek. That doesn't even make sense. Like, why would you send me to a creek? How about you send me next to a really, really, really deep well or a really big river like the Euphrates that it will still flow even if it drops, you know, there's no rain. He's like, no, I'm going to send you to a creek. And then on top of that, the illogical nature of God, it's like, this is how I'm going to feed you. In the morning, I'm going to have ravens bring you bread and meat. And in the evening, I'm going to, like, you're on your own for lunch, but I'm going to get you breakfast and dinner by birds. Not just any birds. Unclean birds according to the law of God. God fed his prophet. And here's the thing, how, how that works. is Anything the raven would touch would become unclean, and then he's telling the prophet to eat that food. It's illogical. It doesn't make sense. But God sent Elijah to a place for a season, and Elijah camped next to a creek. God sent him there knowing it would dry up because of the word that he told Elijah to pronounce. Doesn't seem very logical. I need someone to hear this today. This is a word that the Lord spoke to me. As I wrote this, someone needs to hear this. This season you find yourself in is not permanent. So don't build a house where God wants you to pass through. So often God will send us to a place that is temporary for a season and we decide to not just camp out there, we decide to make up residence there where God never intended that to be your home. He wanted you to learn something there for your next moment. He wanted maybe to learn to trust you in this se- trust him in this season so the next season you can receive from him what he wants to teach you there. But the, the creek was necessary for, for Elijah to trust God and to see that his proclamation was actually coming to pass. I can only imagine that day after day as the creek was, it just kept getting lower and lower and lower and lower. And he's saying, wow, the Lord is keeping his word. The Lord is keeping his word. And I, as the creek was getting lower, Elijah's faith was getting bigger. The Lord's keeping his word. He's keeping his word. So what I'm telling you is you might find yourself in a really, really hard season. It is not permanent. So don't build a house where God just wants you to pass through. Don't claim that as your home. And guess what happened? Guess what happened to the creek? Anyone? It dried up. Like any other creek that was in Israel. No rain, no water, no creek. He was up a creek. Then he fed him with ravens. God is not bound by our religious expectations on how he chooses to move in our life. 
you might be expecting God to move one way. <laughs> God might choose a completely different way to move in your life and through your life. Don't, don't put God in a box. He used ravens to feed Elijah. That's not logical according to the law of God. Those aren't clean birds. But yet, God blew those religious expectations out of the water. God's not bound by our religious expectations and how he chooses to move in our life. Trust him regardless of logic. The very thing Satan is going to try to destroy you with, God will use to bring life. Look at the cross. Symbol of death. God turned it to a symbol of hope. Before Jesus, the cross was depressing. People saw the cross and all they saw was, man, my family died on that. That person died on that. They knew that it represented death. There was nothing good about the cross until Jesus came. God flipped it. Not logical. Used a universal symbol of death for a universal symbol of life. That's what he does. It's not logical. Then the next illogical thing God said, trust God regardless of logic. Trust God regardless of logic. He said in verse 9 of, uh, uh, to Elijah, he said, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow to feed you. So we're to the point in this drought where the creek is already dried up. And people are dying. It's like water is, is, is eroding and, or, or, or going away. And then, and then God says, go, go to a, a widow. Like he didn't say, go to that, that well-stocked family that was been prepping since the beginning of time, and they'll take care of you. They already have a house for you. No, he, he didn't say, go to this. Here's a place where there's a bunker, and you have all. And he didn't say that. He said, go to a widow. And now, that might not seem like a big deal, because now like widows have all sorts of things, and they can still work. But, but in, the, in the time we're talking about, this is like, like 1,500 years before Christ came, widows had no hope. Like, unless they had a son that would take care of him, and this widow did have a son, but he was so young that he couldn't take care of her, this widow just didn't have anything. She had to basically live by the donations of the people around her if they had enough. Well, probably in a good time, when the economy's booming, when they had a different king, when, when it was soaring, maybe there was enough to go around and they would take care of this widow and her son. But in this moment, there's a drought, there's no food, there's no grain, livestock are dying. There, I mean, like, there's no flour, there, like, there's nothing to go around, there's no oil, like, because there's no olives to press because the trees are dying. So suddenly, God says, go to this widow, she'll take care of you. It's not even logical. But you know what Elijah had? He had this dependence on the illogicalness of God, of him feeding me for however long, maybe a year, with, with, with ravens and seeing water dry up. You know, God keeps his word, so I'm just going to go. And he went. No, what's so crazy about this woman, though? Is it says in verse, he said, I have instructed a widow there to feed you. Then Elijah goes to this town and he, and he sees the widow. And he says, hey, can you make me a cake? And she goes, what? She's hearing it for the first time. Like, I, I was, I, I, I don't know. Like, Lord, you said you instructed this widow to feed me. And then, guess, she's hearing the instruction from the prophet of God for the first time.
This widow wasn't sitting on the edge of town saying, okay, when's that prophet going to get here? I can't wait to feed him. Know what she was doing? She was gathering sticks to light a fire to make the last meal for her and her son. Then she was going to die with him. That's how hope-filled her future was. Some of us are waiting for God to send a word. Some of us have already got a word from God and we're waiting to do something. And we're wondering why nothing's happening. You know what made the word of God work in Elijah's case? Go to that. He went. He acted on the word. Some of us got a word from the Lord, but we haven't acted on it. And we're wondering, Lord, when is this word going to come to pass? Are you acting on the word that the Lord gave you? She trusted God, she believed God, and she obeyed God. She moved. And it didn't take a lot. It was just a little. She was on her way to make her last meal, then die. Elijah confronted her, and she said she had enough for her and her son. That's all she had. And this, get this, get this, get this. This is, he said, go ahead and do that, but make me some first. Like, like I'm not making this up. It's in the Bible. Literally, he, she says, she says, I swear to you, I don't have any. Like, the Lord instructed her to, you know, like, what? And, like, she's like, she's like, I don't have any food. I would give it to you, but I have just enough for me and my son to eat our last meal and die. And Elijah straight says, go ahead and do that, but make me some first. Then she had a choice. In verse 12, it says, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. And I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little bit of cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal. And then my son and I will die. Verse 13. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Mm. Someone needs to hear that today. Your, your situation's dire. Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you said, but make me a little bread first. <laughs> Not logical. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your container until the time the Lord sends rain and the crops grow. It's not logical. She had to choose to trust God over man's logic. And my second thought is this. She had to believe God regardless of man's opinion. Everyone's going to have an opinion when you step out in faith and you start trusting the Lord. You have to double down in your faith and believe him. He's going to keep his word. Get this. The, the, the best part about this is Elijah wasn't famous. It wasn't like he strolled into town like, oh my God, oh, like, like when Jesus walked up when, when he's about to heal Lazarus, everyone was like, Jesus is coming. Jesus, oh, get me, get me. They're like storming the, the shores and like Jesus was famous. Elijah wasn't. He walks into town and no one notices. 
This woman's just gathering sticks in the dust. And he sees her, and she's like, who are you? Then she had to believe. She had to take this random guy at his word that he's actually a prophet and that he's speaking on behalf of God. With all she had left. And then, you know, like, she's like, is this a guy just making promises? Like, if I do this, like, my, my job will ever. Then she had to step. Like, you know what? She had to step. Hear me on this. When we lean on man's opinion above our faith in God, this will keep us from experiencing the blessing that follows faith and obedience. If you're worried about what man's going to think when you step, you're never going to experience the blessing. If you're, oh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm stepping on my own shoes here because I am a people pleaser down to the bone and the Lord is just eradicating that right when I think I'm better at it where I can say no to someone. I go, but what will they do? What will they think? And then I have to go through this whole process, and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna, I, I can say no. And then I feel this whole weight off of my shoulders, and then I'm like, oh, but I hope they don't, I hope they still like me. You know, like, <laughs> I get it. But if I rested on man's opinion every single time, I would never get to experience the blessing that comes from obedience. I'm going to give you something that it might offend some of you. And this is one of those moments where I actually have to walk out this second thought. Believe God regardless of man's opinion. Trust God regardless of man's opinion. So if this offends you, that's not my heart but I'm going to give you a tool in your faith tool book that will help you walk in obedience today if you receive it and put it to practice. Because I, like, I could tell you this, and it's easier said than done to just believe God. Well, what does that look like? I, when I read this, I, I can't help but think about this woman who was uh, in a very dire situation, and she had a choice to make. So... When, I'm, when the Lord lays something on my heart to do something, whether it just buy someone's groceries or pray with someone or start a conversation with someone, maybe it's mow my neighbor's grass. I don't know. Like, I, I go through a, a bunch of stuff, but it always comes back to a few things. There's, there's two or three statements. I'm going to give you a couple of them. The first one is get over yourself. If you learn to get over yourself, it will liberate you. Because so often what we do, what we do is we put our feelings above their need. Go pray with that person. Well, what if they think I'm crazy? Well, what if God heals them of cancer? Well, go, go pray with that person. Oh, that's just not my gifting. What if you lead them to salvation? We put our feelings, our... That's just, uh, that's just so hard for me to do, God. I can't, oh, man, I just don't know and, uh, above their need. So we're saying, God, I love myself more than I love my neighbor. But I, I don't think that's what Jesus said. He didn't say love yourself more than you love your neighbor and love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. He said love your neighbor as yourself. 
And so you got to get over yourself. And then give God your forget it. Forget it. Forget it. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to say this next line one time. And it puts a stumbling block in you. That's not my heart. But I'm going to tell you what the Lord told me, and I'm not going to say it again, okay? I was walking downtown, and I saw this guy. And the Lord said, he's facing a crucial need. And I just felt that so heavy in my heart. I saw him. He was in front of Puckett's, and I was by Mule Town Coffee, and I just saw him. He was leaning up against a barrel, and I'm like, ugh. And I was wrestling, and this is why I think going to First Fridays is so important, because I, would, I, I, I still feel uncomfortable sharing my faith, FYI. I still have to step out in faith, FYI. I still have to wrestle through these things, and, and I'm like, the Lord's like, you need to pray with him. He's facing a dire situation, and I'm feeling this in my heart, and I walk right past him. And I get down to the bicycle store. And this is what the Holy Spirit laid on my heart. I'm going to say it. Let's not be holier than God for a moment. Because I was like, God, I don't have the faith. What if I'm wrong? I kept saying that. God, I don't have the faith. What if I'm wrong? I don't have the faith. What if I'm wrong? And I was worried about me. I was worried about me. I didn't have a forget it attitude. I I wasn't getting over myself. And the Holy Spirit said to me so clearly, he said, give me your screw it. Straight up. And that's what I did. I said, all right, forget it. I said, I'm only going to say it once. And I walked back. It changed my heart. It hit me so hard. Like, you know what? What do I have to lose? So I walk up to this guy I said, sir, you don't know me. I don't know you. My heart's beating out of my chest. And it's not logical because I don't know this guy. He doesn't know me. Like, and, and, he, and, and, and I said, God, but, but I feel like I need to pray for you. Is there, there, is there a dire situation in your life that needs prayer? That's what I said because that's what the Holy Spirit told me. And, and he said, yes. My daughter just got diagnosed with a brain tumor yesterday. Holy Spirit's never wrong. So give God your forget it. Give God. Forget it. I'm going to go for it. I have nothing to lose. Get over yourself. That's a tool. I'm not, I'm not, I am not condemning anyone. I'm not trying to make anyone feel bad. I'm just saying this is what the, I, I almost guarantee you this is what that widow did. She was just like, forget it. I have nothing to lose. You know what? I'm going to die anyways. Let's. Let's give this guy bread. Let's see. Let's let's just put God to his word. You know, that's really at the end of the day, that's what faith is. It's putting God to his word. And get this: the Holy Spirit loves it when you hold God accountable. God, your word says this. I'm going to stand on it because your word is true. And let every man be a liar. And you know what? And then faith rises up. You know what? God is bigger than this. God is greater than this. God will see me through this. I have nothing to lose. When you have that get over yourself mentality, you're going to walk up and you're going to say, you know what? It's not about me anyways. What if God wants to wreck their world and change it for the good? Because that's what he does. This woman believed God. 
All right. I'm just going to take this guy at his word. I don't know him from Adam. He doesn't know me. But the Lord said this. I'm going to believe it. If God said it. Here's the thing. Sometimes we pray prayers like it's on us to answer. It's not on you to answer your prayers. Never has been, never will be. When you pray prayers that are based on the word of God, it's on God to keep his word. And guess what? He does. He does it in his time how he wants. You know, like it's interesting because what's interesting about this whole narrative is the Lord never filled her jar. He never filled it. He never filled it with oil. He never filled it with flour. He said, you'll always have enough. I mean, to put context to what was going on, it would be like this. Every time you open your wallet, you see $20 there. Not a million. Not, but just, you just keep going back and there's 20 bucks. And, and here's the cool thing. Because she believed God. The Lord blessed her, her son, and her village. The blessing that God's going to give you isn't just about you and yours. But believe God regardless of man's wisdom. Believe God, when, though it looks illogical, seems improbable, and most definitely impossible. Believe him. I'm going to say that again. I can't believe I read it right the first time. Believe God, though it looks illogical, seems improbable, and most definitely impossible. Believe him. And then the last thought I want to give you. Obey God regardless of man's action. Man, people might oppose you when you step in obedience. People might say things about you. People might do things to you, might even attack you and your family in, in words or persecute you, but obey God. It doesn't matter what they do because God, God has a blessing for you and he wants to bless people through you. Her obedience led to a miracle that led to a miracle that led to a miracle. Literally, that one act of obedience of making a, a bread for Elijah led to a miracle. The Lord supplied her needs just enough. Like there's always just enough oil in the bottom that she was able to feed her and her son. And then when people needed it around her, hey, can I borrow some flour? Here, yeah, here's 20 bucks. Oh, you need gas? Here's 20 bucks. Oh, you need groceries? Here's 20 bucks. It was, oh, here, here's a little bit of oil. Here's a little bit of flour. It led to a miracle that led to a miracle. And get this. Get, get this. Maybe God is waiting for your obedience in the now to prepare you to prepare your faith for your miracle later. You think the miracle of the oil and the flour was the real miracle here? No. It wasn't the real miracle. That miracle was the miracle that prepared her faith to believe God for another miracle. Because her son ended up dying a couple years later. And because for a couple years she's been pouring flour 
and oil out of this jar that just doesn't go out. It just keeps pouring, and we don't know why. It's not full. It just keeps pouring other than the fact that God said it. You know what she did? The first thing she did when her son passed away, she didn't grieve. She didn't cry. She didn't uh, prepare a funeral. You know what she did? She sent word to the man of God. Because right now, <laughs> your act of obedience is going to prepare your faith for the miracle that's going to happen later. Because she got to see the faithfulness of God time and time again. Every morning when she woke up to make breakfast, she saw the faithfulness of God. Every lunchtime, she saw the faithfulness of God. Every dinner time, she saw the faithfulness of God. She saw it and saw it and saw it and saw it. It prepared her faith to make the big ask. My son's dead. But it started with obedience. Some of us are just so nervous about stepping. Well, God, I just don't know what's going to happen. She didn't either. What if this guy was a fraud? She had nothing to lose. Give God your forget it. Like, all right, forget it. I'm going to die anyways. And then she didn't die. A couple years later, her son dies. And then God brought him back to life because she believed God. Because she had faith that God could. She had no basis to believe that God would heal. She probably never even heard of someone being raised from the dead. She had no reason to believe that. All she had was the faithfulness of God to go off. God, you saved my, my son before. You'll save him again. We were on the brink of death before. You'll do it again. And get this. How God raised him from the dead was so illogical. Elijah went and laid his body on this dead boy's body and came back to life. It's not just illogical, that's creepy. But God did it. God works backwards and upside down. Trust God regardless of man's logic. Trust, believe God regardless of man's opinion and obey God regardless of man's action. If the whole world isn't obeying God, that doesn't give you permission not to obey God. If everyone else in your family is living a life that's contrary to the word of God, that doesn't give you permission to live that life. You stand your ground, stand on the word, obey God, because there, it, it, you will reap a harvest if you don't give up. The, the, the Bible says, don't grow weary and will doing, for at the proper time you'll reap a harvest if you don't give up. Keep doing what's right. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 8410, and I say it to myself all the time when it comes to different things. The Lord will withhold no good thing for those who do what is right. The Lord will withhold no good thing for those who do what is right. And, and you know what? I want the Lord. It's, it's tempting to do what's wrong. You know, when, when I bought my truck, you know what the guy told me? He said, hey, you should just actually put the amount that you gave me for the truck and not include the, the, the part that goes to the bank because that's technically all you paid me. And I've never thought about that. I'm like, is that right? Like, I'm like, instantly, I'm like, I don't think that's right. So I'm like, I'm like, he's like, seriously, the bank would never know and all this stuff, and it'll save you on your sales tax. I'm like, is, do people do this? I, I don't know. And so I'm just thinking about this. I'm like, I haven't bought a vehicle in a long time. And so I'm, I'm thinking about it, and I'm praying about it. I'm like, Lord, is this right? Something in me. And, and, and you know, the Lord never said yes or no. I'm praying about it. Know what he said? Psalm 8410, the Lord will withhold no good thing for those who do what is right. 
That's the, only, that's the only thing. I was like, Lord, what should I do here? Should I put the full amount between the bank and him or just him like he said? And the Lord will hold no good thing for those who do what is right. I'm like, okay. But that's the question. What's right here? And it's like the Holy Spirit's like, you know what's right. And so I, I just put the full amount. I paid more in taxes. But get this, within a week, I was blessed abundantly. Abundantly. It's crazy how God works. Paul is hammering home to the Corinthian church. When God does something, it's not logical. It will confound the wise and make the strong look weak. What he's saying is don't look for your answers in the way the world looks. Look to God. This widow perfectly illustrates how illogical our God is. But all we have to do is trust him, believe him, and obey him. It really is that simple. And we, when we get to those crossroads in our faith and we're having a hard time, please remember, give God your forget it and get over yourself. And I'm telling you, you will step in more obedience when you get over yourself than you ever could. It's ourselves that keep us from walking in faith. It's our logic and our reason that keeps us, because like we'll look at something and it's just like, that doesn't even make sense. But God's saying, do it. I've, I've thought about that a lot recently. My God, I bought a truck when inflation is through the roof. But I feel like he told me to. Doesn't make sense. I don't know. Maybe this, maybe this winter I want to be towing a lot of people out of ditches. I, I, I don't, maybe the Lord has a purpose. I prayed about it and I had peace and it doesn't make sense. But the Lord, it doesn't have to make sense because He doesn't operate. I'm not saying go out and buy a new vehicle. I'm not saying go. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying. God works different. Paul's saying God works different. It's backwards. It's not what you think. So sometimes we have to step back from a situation and look at it and say, Lord, what are you doing here? What's my logical brain is telling me this, but what, what, what is faith telling me? What is faith? Faith will always make you step and trust. Faith will always make you step and trust. The most illogical thing God has ever done, though, as we close, is he sent his son to give life and salvation from eternity in hell. The whole life of Jesus is so illogical. Jesus sat on a throne for eternity past, ruling the universe, every galaxy, Every star, every solar system, every planet he ruled. That's just in the physical universe. That's not even including the heavens where he dwells. In the spiritual realities, in the high places where he rules. And he reigned over all things perfectly, spoke everything into existence, and then the illogicalness of his coming. He chose to be born to a peasant girl, Not to a wealthy family. Not to 
a family that could take care of all his needs to get him to the best schools and to get him a really good education so he could become a great teacher. That's what the world thinks he is. He's just a great teacher. No, he, he, he was born to a peasant woman whose fiancé almost divorced her, that the Lord had to intervene. They were having marriage problems before they were even married because of Jesus. And guess what? When you give your life to Jesus wholly and your spouse doesn't love Jesus, it will cause marriage problems. The enemy will come at your marriage. He'll come at, he'll, he, will, he will come out your children. He, he will come out. And when you go all in with Jesus, you think it's going to be a bed of roses? It won't. But the Lord's grace is sufficient for you. For his power is made perfect in weakness, and he will see you through. And that's the illogicalness of God. He doesn't promise goodness. And, and he even stepped into not goodness. He was born not in a sanitary room. He was born in a feeding, placed in a feeding trough where pigs and, maybe not pigs because they're Jews, but where, where sheep and cows ate. And then the first people that heralded his coming were the outcast and the only job that they could find were watching sheep. And those are the people that God trusted with the message of the gospel first. And then the rich and the wealthy of his own nation didn't even come to worship him. God had to send people from the east. We don't know how far east. They could have been Arab. They could have been kind of Babylonian. They could have been Chinese, Indian. We don't know. But he sent them. And they, weren't, they didn't even follow Judaism or, or Yahweh, the God of the Bible. Because God doesn't work logically. And then he raised up Jesus, the greatest prophet, preacher, king, savior, and Lord the world has ever seen. And he came from a town called Nazareth. And you know the reputation of Nazareth? In the Bible, it's even said in one of the gospels, nothing good comes from Nazareth. And that's where Jesus grew up. So you think, man, I didn't come from the right part of town. I, I, I was born on the other side of the tracks, whatever. Well, Jesus didn't either. And God raised him up. And then he took the inner universal symbol of death to put death to death for us. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. Jesus died on the cross, never once sinned for our sins in our place that we might have a relationship with him. It's so illogical. It doesn't make sense. And then he doesn't even complicate it. He could have said, okay, to receive salvation, you have to go stand on a mountain. You have to take a hundred mile walk and pray the whole time without sleep. You know, he could have done that to earn salvation. And he says, no, you know what? I'm not going to make them earn a single thing. I'm going to do all the work for them by sending my son to die in their place on their cross for their sins then three days later raise him from the dead to give them victory over death hell and the grave that we might have life and not just life here on earth but have life eternal he literally changes our eternity from hell to heaven it's not logical and all we have to do is say Jesus forgive me come be Lord of my life we just put our faith in him. 
and we trust him that he's going to keep his word. That's all we can do, walking into death. How many of you guys have ever spoke to a person after they died and they had a conversation? None of us. We don't know what happens after we die, but we have faith that we believe that, guess what? I will. I will stand in the presence of God because I put my faith in the Lord. Everyone's like, well, I can't wait to get up there and see my lost loved one. I can't wait to see Jesus. <laughs> I don't think my mom's ready to see me again. <laughs> Her break hasn't been long enough. It's so simple, man. And, and, and I, I just... It's not logical. The gospel's not logical. It's so simple, though. Every other, every other world religion, every other cult that claims to be Christian, even Catholicism is a works-based religion. It's work towards heaven. If you're good enough, you'll make it. But Christianity is different. It's the only illogical one. That makes worldly sense. Christianity doesn't. We can't get to God, so he came to us. Every other religion is trying us trying to get to God, and Christianity is God came to us and did it all for us.